Or let's open our Bibles, Titus chapter 3, shall we? <clears throat> Mine's already open. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to pick it up where we left off. We, lo- we talked last time about uh, being changed or not. And if we are, so what? And, and really this idea, the fact is that if we're changed... If we're truly changed, we're truly born again, that it changes us in every way. It changes who we are, it changes how we live, it changes the the choices that we make, it changes how we think, it changes how we act, it changes, you know, where we go, and it it should change everything about us. So God, you know, wants to do this work in us, and, and is it all at once? No, you accept Jesus and then you're like super saint. No, it doesn't happen that way, does it? It's a, it's a, a process of sanctification where he's making us more and more like Jesus. And, and we learn, sometimes we learn the hard way where, you know, we, we end up doing things or, or, or things happen that, that uh, we, we regret. But he'll use that to get us where he wants us to be, right? I know that in my own life, it's... It's just the way things happen. So, so he said last time uh, in verse 8, let's just look at verse 8 quickly. He said, this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, that's us, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. They're excellent and they're profitable to to doing good. So to devote ourselves to doing something that's good, doing something that's right, he says, be careful to care for it. And so we talked a lot about this. I did anyways. I say we, that's kind of a, that's not really true, is it? I talked, you listen. No, just kidding. (laughs) You know, uh, it's a strange thing. Uh, to, to try to teach the Bible to people so they're going to understand, so they're going to take something home, <clears throat> so they're going to take something away and, and actually let it be real in their lives. So, so this idea of, of doing something that's good, you know, we, we ask the question, we should each of us ask the question of ourselves, am I doing anything good? And, and think about my life. Is anything good coming out of my life or is it all just self-centered, the misery of selfishness? Uh, uh, one of the quotes I had last week. Six times he talks about it in the letter to Titus. It's something we need to learn to do good. Now, uh, uh, Larry pointed out to me, you know, can we do these things in our own strength? Paul said, actually, you know, it, I know that in my flesh, in me, in my flesh dwells what? No good. no good thing. So in and of ourselves, can we do it? No. But by the power of God in our lives, we can do we can do a lot of good things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need his help. We need his direction. So he says, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're created for this. Fulfillment comes when we do the, we do the things that we were created for, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So 
That, that verse, that, that is such a powerful verse, Ephesians 2.10. This is where we talked about, you know, the masterpiece, where God's masterpiece and we created. He created us and he gave us purpose. He gave us meaning in life. He gave us something to do. Psalm 90, uh, we talked about this when, when we looked at, uh, when Anne passed away and we had her memorial service, we talked about, you know, Psalm 90, you know, to, to number our days, you know, that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. And the two things that, that Moses had in Psalm 90 were, one, a devotional life. He said, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. And the second thing was establish the works of our hands. So, so to live a life that, is, that has meaning, I think those, are, those sum it up pretty well. Two things. One, be devoted. Have a devotional life where you, you have a life of, of devotion. And it's a daily thing, I think. And secondly, serving. Serving in some way, some shape, some form. Now today we're going to kind of shift gears. We're going we're to look at uh, problem people. Uh, this is probably your favorite subject, I'm sure. Do you know any problem people? Don't look at me. You know, why, why are they a problem? That's a, that's a question we can ask. Why are they problem people? Why are they a problem? Well, they're hard to get along with, for one, right? They like to argue, like to make your life difficult. Hard to communicate with. That's a problem. Problem people are a problem. That's why they call them problem people, right? So how do we deal with it? We're not going to cover every shade and meaning of, of this topic, obviously, but we're going to look at some scriptures. We're going to see what he, what he says in this particular passage. We're going to look at and, and, and refer to a bunch of other passages because it's, it's pervasive, Right? That means it's everywhere, even in this room. There are some problem people. Now, if I said to you, write it on a piece of paper, tell me who you think the problem people are in this room, put them in the back, and then I will tear them up. Because, so, but, but the question is, how do we deal with it? What do we do You know, when they're in the church, when they're in our home, when they're in our place of work when they're in our school. In this passage, he's pretty much talking about in the church, right? Specifically, but I think with this and other passages, we can make some, some application in other areas too. But before we move on, I, I have to say this, because we can always say, so-and-so, he is a problem person, right? Or she back there, and don't look who I'm pointing at, is a problem person, right? We, we can always do that, but I think, I think one of the biggest applications, and as I was looking at this, is, is, is it me? Because first you say, no, I'm not me. I'm not a problem person at all. I get along with everybody. I never argue. I, you know, I pretty much have it all together, but is that true? So let's look at the verses. I hope this makes some sense to you this morning. 
Verse 9 through 11, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, you, after that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Wow. There's a lot of stuff in those little verses there, isn't there? Dealing with this situation. But again, we, we, it's a much broader subject, subject than we can think. But the first thing he says there, he says to avoid. Avoid. There are sometimes we just need to avoid these kinds of things. But he's talking here about, about lots of these you know, controversies, genealogies, arguments, quarrels, strife, debates, contentions. Disputes, fights, this is all the stuff that he's talking about here. You say, well, that never happens here. I, I, I have to say this, and as I was thinking about this, I, I, I'm very, very thankful that it happens very rarely here. And I think that's just God's grace and protection. Because, because it's not like that, I have to assure you, uh, those of you that don't know firsthand, it's not like that in every church. There are some churches that fighting is the norm, contention, strife. That's the norm. That's pretty much what every day is like. Wow. No, thank you. You know, I, I think God has put his peace upon our, our fellowship, and I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. But we have had some of these things as we have, you know, been, we've been here a long, long time, right, Jim? And, and from time to time, it happens. You know, we've been here. Uh, we're going to celebrate, uh, here's a little pitch, uh, 10 years in the building this November, December time. But we came to New England 30 years ago. So we've been out here doing this for a very, very long time. We're going to have a big celebration at the end of the year, maybe, <laughs> if you want to. We all love parties, right? But then again, we could have a big fight about, you know, who's going to organize it and who's, who are we going to invite and all that. Never mind, we don't have any fights because that's the problem, right? We, we have fights and we fight about what color the carpet should be, you know. It, it, it's a reality. Now, what about in our own homes? What's that like? If, if you could get up here and tell me what it's like in your situation, what would you say? Now, getting back to the church for a minute, it, it, it's good to fight for the truth. I want to say that. It's not like we walk away from every fight. It's not like we walk away from anything that has is, is got some, some kind of tension involved in it. Now, I don't like, personally, I do not like conflict. How many of you love conflict? Yeah. How many of you hate conflict? You know, it's just, I don't know what it is about it, but it gets me very upset. I just don't like it. And somebody arguing, probably when, you know, when you're a kid, if you're, you know, at my house, you know, it was, my old man was, was he was an alcoholic and there was a lot of strife, a lot of tension going on. And that probably, 
you know, uh, creates that kind of thing, you know, after you uh, experience that. But there are some things to fight for, right? Let me, let me make that clear. There are some things worth fighting for. The truth is always worth fighting for. But I think it has to do with how we fight for it. Because if we're just contentious, I don't think we're going to get anywhere. And that's what he's saying here. He says they're unprofitable, they're useless. Doing these kinds of things uh, can be very unprofitable. In verse 8, he said these things are excellent and profitable. Now in verse 9, he says, but these things are unprofitable. Doing something good is profitable. Just arguing for the sake of arguing, contentions for the sake of contentions, they are unprofitable, they're useless, they're not going to do anybody good. Just quarreling doesn't accomplish much. How many of you know that? You know, and even if you're 100% right, or 200%, what you think, that's what we think. I'm 200% right, and the other person is not. It, it, even if you're completely right, just quarreling about it does not accomplish much. I think that's what he's saying here, too. In fact, it's, it's unprofitable. In fact, it is useless. There's got to be a better way, right? He makes a big deal about this. He talks about it. I'm going to quote a few others here, here in a second. But, but even the disciples, you know, I, it, it, it says in Luke chapter 9, there was an argument started among the disciples. They had this argument. And what did they argue about? Anybody remember? Who was going to be the greatest? Like, that's profitable. Like, this is what happens. We argue about the dumbest things, right? Oh, not me, you're thinking. If you could think back to your last argument with somebody. Oh, that was on the way here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I told you this many times. My wife and I take separate cars to get here. She hurt her toe yesterday, and I said, would you like to ride with me? Well, let's ride together so that, uh, you know, you don't have to drive. She said, no. <laughs> and we almost had an argument about it, but I thought, you know, <laughs> not really. That really happened, but she took her own car. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, this is a powerful verse. He said, Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. Luke chapter 11, 17. Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. He's speaking about the enemy in that particular passage, but the principle holds true that if we are divided, we're going to fall. We're going to go down. 
If all that we have is, is you know, quarreling and, and fighting and strife and, and, and debates and disputes, we are going to go down. It's, it's just going to happen. It will happen. I think Jesus speaks the truth there. He says the truth to you and to me. So many other passages, you know, uh, 1 Timothy 3, we saw speaking about leadership. It says a leader shouldn't be quarrelsome. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, Paul says to Timothy, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. When you see something start to happen like that in church, it's hurting people around you. You know, the example of, you know, in the home when the parents are always arguing and fighting, it's affecting the children, isn't it? It affected me, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, uh, my wife and I affected our kids in, in different ways at different times. Second Timothy, later, he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. He gives us some of the keys, some of the clues in that passage. You know, the, most of the arguments that we have, and you know, this is, this is a standing joke, right, about this. You have this fight, and then, you know, you separate, and you have this, you know, tension, and, and you, you know, years, years, years go by, and you, you will not speak to one another, and it gets to the point where you don't even remember what it was about, right? But you know you're, you hate that person. You know you're angry at that person. Why? Because most often it's a, something foolish. It's something stupid. And we have these arguments, and they produce these quarrels, but he says, the Lord's servant, and hopefully that's you and me, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, instead, a better way, he says, he must be kind. Find some kindness to come out of us. Again, now, is that going to come out of me? No, we'll see another couple of passages. James talks about it. 1 Corinthians talks about it. It comes out of our flesh. These things come right out of our flesh. And, and you can be certain when people are screaming and shouting at one another, there's a lot of flesh involved, right? I wouldn't say it's all that spiritual, right? But to be kind, to be able to teach. Well, maybe they don't understand. And, and, and for you to scream at them, how many, how many lessons have you learned when someone was screaming it in your face, like this many. So I'm not going to scream at you anymore. I'm sorry. I'm going to try not to scream anymore. I'll just talk really softly in that monotone voice again. Please wake up. First Corinthians 3, he says, you are still worldly. For there is jealousy, jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not acting like mere men, just like fleshly people? James says, what causes? What's the cause of fights and quarrels among you? What, what causes these things? He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What you want, what I want, 
He says, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, this is interesting, because you do not ask God. You're forcing, and we do this, we, we, we're pressing on the other person, we're, you know, we're having this thing out with them, but we've never taken the time to talk to God about it first. We never prayed about it first. How do we deal with these kinds of people, these kinds of situations? First, we need to make sure we're not, we're not the one that's being selfish and, and wanting what I want, what, what I should get out of this thing. And then we should be praying. We need to pray. Before we ever talk about something that's very difficult, and now I know there are going to be things in our lives and our relationships that are difficult, but we have to talk about them at some point in time. Well, before we ever talk to the people, we should talk to God about it, right? We've got to. Otherwise, we're going to end up just in the flesh. Just in the flesh. How about verse 10? He says, warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. So, this interesting enough, this word divisive uh, in the Greek language, and again, I'm not a, a Greek scholar, but the Greek word is heretic. That's where we get the word heretic, right? And, and what it literally means is someone who promotes dissension by propagating extreme views of legitimate Christian truths. So somebody who would take something and they would like get this extreme view of it, even though it's a legitimate thing, and create dissension, create division, create problems. That's happened, you know, in the history of the church, it's happened over and over where people will take these things and they blow them up and make something that they're not that divides the church. That makes, makes problems within the church. So he says, listen, there's a, there's a place for warning. And I, and, and I think we can see in that, that that to warn someone, he says not just once but twice, that there's like, hey, you're not just going to just slam somebody. You're not just going to say, you know, you, you, you're out of control. Get out of here. But, but, you know, we all need to have some hope, right? I think we all... I think we also need to realize we all need some help. Be willing to say, okay, you know, if someone says, listen, uh, you know, uh, can I talk to you? You know, it just seems like you're kind of like always upset. You're like, you always want to argue and like, you know, but, um, you know, that really isn't a good thing. We've had to do that in very few circumstances here in the church, but, but you know, other issues where you kind of have to talk about different things. It, 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 it's a process, right? And, and I think that the goal for it, the goal uh, should be restoration, right? The, the goal should, bring, should be peace. Jesus said in Matthew 5, right? He said, blessed are the peacemakers, why? Because they will be called the sons of God, the children of God. For a child of God to, to actually try to bring some peace into the situation. 
The goal isn't just to, that the church would be perfect. It's that the church would be full of peace and that people who are creating problems, they would be restored to a better kind of place. Because we all need help. We all need help along the path, right? How about you turn with me to Matthew chapter 18? And I don't want you arguing with me about this. Matthew chapter 18, are you okay? Matthew 18 is kind of like the, the standard process passage, and, and people refer back to this. Matthew chapter 18, if your brother sins against you, verse 15, 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his, his fault just between the two of you, one on one. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as a tax collector or a pagan. Now, these are for people who profess to be believers, right? These aren't just for anybody, right? These are for people who profess to be believers. But there's a process there. You can see that? You know, you don't, you don't uh, put it on Facebook first of all. Save that for later. No, don't do it at all. Too many, uh, too many arguments, too many... Uh, uh, disputes are, are now in the public forum, like ridiculous. Like, how, why is that? Why can you read about that? Someone's personal problem with somebody else. Now it's, now it's for everybody to see. It's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. One-on-one. -on -one. Then maybe you need to have some support. But even here he says... And this is Jesus speaking, even, even here he says there comes a point when there might be a time when you need to do something. He said, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Back in Titus chapter 3, he says, after warning the first time, after warning the second time, he said, after that, have nothing to do with them. In other words, there, there's a place for tough love, right? There comes a time when, when you need to say, listen, I can't do this anymore. This isn't healthy. It's not helping you. It's not helping me. It's not helping our church. It's not helping the situation, whatever that situation is. In 1 Corinthians 5, you know, they, they had a problem in the church. There was somebody who was, was you know, sexually immoral with, with uh, somebody's uh, wife, actually like a stepmother kind of situation. And, you know... He said, listen, you can't just let these things continue forever. You've got to do something. At some point in time, you have to do something. He said in 1 Corinthians 5, as I'm writing you, that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, calls himself a Christian, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. <clears throat> there, there comes a time when, when, when someone who's saying, I'm a believer, I'm a believer, but their life is so completely 
anti what the Bible teaches about what God, how God calls us to live. And, and for us to just continue on and say, yeah, everything is fine, everything is fine, in the name of tolerance, uh, is not helping them, it's not helping you, it's not helping anybody. I've had to do that before. Say, you know what, uh, you, you, you're my friend, but, you know, I, I just can't, I can't, you know, by me meeting with you and just pretending like everything is fine is condoning your life and, and what you're doing in your life. And it's not fine. It's not right. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3, he said, you know, there may be times to do something like that. He says, yet, and this is important, he said, yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So you don't look at them as enemies, you just, you know, out of this abundance of concern, out of this abundance of love and, and care, you have to sometimes do things that are not easy to do. Someone wrote this, the pervasive philosophy of tolerance, along with the desire to be inoffensive, drives the church to compromise. To ignore the harm of false teaching or to overlook continued sin is to render a disservice to the church and the offending believer. To do nothing just in the name of tolerance, anything goes on because we're not going to say anything. We're not going to, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as you're here, as long as you're putting money in the box. It doesn't matter what you do, how you live. That is not, it's not right. That's, that's kind of how our society has got to the place where it is now. You know, we're going to tolerate everything and anything. The interesting thing, though, and, and uh, Mike passed me along a, 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 an article that what isn't tolerated now is Christianity. We're going to tolerate everything, but we're not going to tolerate Christianity and the truth of, of that Jesus Christ is the one way to heaven, the way, the truth, and the life. Paul said in Romans 16, I urge you to watch out. Watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have received. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. Be wise, he said. Be innocent about what's evil, wise about what's good. Watch out, he said, you know, if you see that kind of thing. And I think this is one of the jobs of leadership in the church, to, to be on the alert. If someone comes in and that's all they want to do is, is cause trouble and division and problems, the leadership needs to be aware of it and in some cases take some kinds of steps, some kind of a process. But again... In our own homes, I think we need to be aware of it for ourselves. Watch out that I am not the one that's causing all the arguments and the problems in my home. Because who, who are you really going to change? Are you going to change that person you're screaming at? No. Who can you change? Can you change them? You might be able to, you know, as we talked earlier, be, you know, in kindness and, and love and, and uh, 
uh, ability to teach. You might be able to bring some help. But the really one, the one who's going to change the most is this one here. That's the one I can change. I can't change you, but I can really work at changing me and how I react to everything that you say. So, does, does this any, any of this make any sense to you? We could argue about this. Really. Verse 11, you may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful, is self-condemned. It's, it's, you know, a choice. Self-condemned means he's brought it on himself because he's not willing to listen to the warnings, not listen to people who, who come along and say, listen, young person, you know, you, you really need to pay attention to, you know, how you're dealing with people. Learn something now. Learn especially now while you're young. But not willing to listen, that's a big problem. It's a big problem. And, and you know, for us to, to say, you know, no, it's not me. Not me. That's, a, that's, that's where the problem starts. It's, it's always partly me. Is it, is it 100% the other person's fault? It might even be 99, but, you know, there's still some part of it that's me. Always. Let me, I'm just going to read to you quickly some Proverbs, because Proverbs has a whole bunch of stuff about this, right? But, but we have a few more minutes, so I'm gonna, I want to read you some Proverbs. I hate to start off with this one, but I have to, because it's, like, repeated three times. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Okay. <laughs> I got that over with now. My wife's not even in the room. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. How about this one, though, in, in Proverbs 26? A quarrelsome man likes to kindle strife. He likes to stir it up. Proverbs 15, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension. Stir it up, but... He said, a patient man calms a quarrel. Let's kind of de-escalate this situation a little bit. How do you do that? Let me tell you a secret, and I learned this a long time ago. It's probably the hardest thing that there is to do in a situation like that. But let me tell you what, it's the best thing to do in a situation is to stop and say, we need to stop and pray right now you know for me pride uh you know pride was the biggest biggest reason why i couldn't say let's pray even when there wasn't a conflict i couldn't say hey let's pray because this pride thing or whatever but but i had had to get over that get over it right but in the middle of an argument you know to say you know what and this is what what we do you know I say it, she says it, we, we apologize. And I say, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to fight with you. And she says, well, I want to, f-. no. She says, well, I don't want to fight with you either. And, 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 you know, if you can actually stop and just say a simple prayer, and it might, might even be through gritted teeth, right? You know what I mean by that? Talk like that? Pray like that? But at least it's something. 
But I have found that, that God answers those prayers in incredible ways. Incredible. I, I, I make a promise to you, if you'll try it. It's the hardest thing, but it's the, it, could, it, it can be the most fruitful thing, too. I think husbands, uh, forget about pride, man. Uh, husbands need to pretty much take a lead in this, too. And say, you know what? We need to pray. A patient man calms a quarrel. How about this, Proverbs 17? Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. When we know we're going to get something started, he says, stop. Stop when you know that hey, this isn't going well. Let's, let's stop this thing right now. Because pretty soon, it's, a, you know, it's like the boy who had his you know, finger in the hole in the, in the dike, right? And you know, you, pretty soon, it's going to break open. Proverbs 17, again, he who loves a quarrel loves sin. Oh. Proverbs 20, it is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. It's to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. And the last one, I like this, because sometimes we get involved in, in battles that are not even, they're not even mine. But he says, like one who seizes a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel, not his own. You go grab a dog by the ears, guess what's going to happen? We get involved in people's stuff we, we shouldn't even get involved. Jesus, excuse me, Paul said in Ephesians, said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That's another one. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. How many nights do you go to bed so angry? We would just take that moment and pray. You know what? I'm really angry, but let's pray. We've got we to have God help us here. But the very worst is this. I'll put it on the screen for you. Isaiah 45, 9. Woe to him who quarrels with his maker. That's the very worst. The truth of the matter is, if we quarrel with people a lot, we're going to quarrel with God a lot. It's just the way it is to quarrel with our Maker. Later in that passage, he says, You know what? It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. We've got to realize, recognize who He is. And, you know, you can quarrel all you want with Him, but how far are you going to get? Not very far at all. Talk about something being unprofitable and useless. That is unprofitable and useless. So, problem people, you know, it's not me. And, and this, is, this is my prayer. This is our prayer. I think this is my favorite prayer. Of all prayers. It's usually God help me, but it should be for all of us, right? Problem people. Not me. Yes. Let's pray, shall we? 
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, uh, we face a lot of stuff in this life and there's a lot of conflict and a lot of, a lot of fighting that's going on and our world is full of it. Maybe even our own home and maybe, uh, God forbid, even in our own church. But we know that you say there's a, there's a more excellent way and that excellent way is love and, and you want us to to go your way and not ours. So I pray, I pray, God, you'd help us, Lord. You know the hearts. You know our hearts. You know our, our situations. You know our homes and our work and our lives. Father, I pray you'd show us, direct us. Help us not to be the problem. Help us to be part of the solution because of your Holy Spirit working in us and through us to making us to be more like Jesus. Lord, I pray as we finish here as well, just that, that Jesus, you would help each one of us to follow you. And maybe there's someone in this room who is not a follower of Jesus, and, but you know that you need him. You know that you're lost without him. And you can pray right now. You can open your heart and life. And if you're sincerely desiring a change, you can say, Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. I need you to save me. Rescue me. Rescue me from myself. Forgive me. I ask you into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?